Hi, and welcome to Headline Talks, our podcast on European news coverage and those at the heart of it. In the midst of what is happening in the Middle East, it is easy to forget that a few weeks ago a major European election took place that could have consequences on the EU's political and military direction in the coming years. I'm talking about Slovakia, where on September 30th, three-time former Prime Minister Robert Fico won the elections. Last week, he and his Smer party signed a coalition deal to form a new government, which is, among other things, expected to reduce support to neighboring country Ukraine. To talk about all this today, I am delighted to welcome Martin Hilek in our studio, the Brussels correspondent of the Slovak Public Broadcaster. Welcome, Martin. Thank you very much for the invitation. How are you? Well, I'm very pretty happy to be here with you. <laughs> well, we're super happy to have you here. How have the past few weeks been for you? Actually, these weeks were full of expectations because the, the government was still forming. So, But otherwise, uh, it is were busy weeks for me working here in Brussels. I can imagine. And um, have you noticed that there is more interest in the Slovak elections than usual? Definitely. Definitely. It was before the elections and after the elections. Many journalists contacted me. They wanted to have some background briefings prior to their arrival to Slovakia or they asked me to send them some contacts for analysts in Slovakia and so on. And I, and, and I could read it in, the, in many magazines and newspaper and on websites here in Belgium or in international press. Well, in a way, it's good that there is greater interest in Slovak politics. Yes, but that is uh, a signal that something is going on there when is such a such a big interest yeah for our listeners who know nothing about slovak politics could you explain what was at stake in these recent elections yeah so uh basically if we say it in one sentence it was a question whether slovakia would focus its future on eu membership and uh, transatlantic institutions or whether it would lean more towards the policy developed by um, as we know by hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban, whether we are more towards criticism of the EU and let's call it pro-Russian politics. We know the result of the elections now. Smer, the, the leading party, won with almost 23%, followed by Progressive Slovakia, the Liberal Party with almost 18%, and Hlas, Social Democrats, with less than 15%. This was party which was formed by the splitting of the Smer party. And where is the government formation now at? So the coalition talks between three parties, Smer, Hlas and Slovak National Party are over. The coalition agreement is on the table and the president received the list of nominated ministers last week. Yeah, I think it was last week. And uh, here is the problem uh, because our president, she rejected one nomination. In particular, it is the nominee for the Minister of the Environment. The president has asked for a new proposal. For some voters, for some Slovaks, it is surprising for the supporters of the Slovak National Party and for the group of uh, Slovak people, it's not surprising. According to the president, the proper functioning of the Ministry of Environment cannot be actually assured by a person whose statements undermine the long-standing environmental policy of this country, of our country, and the international commitments to which the Slovak Republic is bound. This was quotation from the statement of our president. These were not my <laughs> words, actually, <laughs> to, to be honest. But this candidate, he was spreading during the campaign disinformations, hoax, 
more or less constantly about the, the climate change, that climate change doesn't exist, that this is, this is a hoax. He spreaded disinformations about uh, protection of wolves and bears in Slovak forests. He is a hunter, to be to say <laughs> to say it loudly. So, however, this, the party that has nominated him, this party defends him. But of course, the decision should be announced today when we are recording this podcast. For those listening, we are recording on Tuesday, the twenty fourth of October. Yeah, <laughs> the, the the party said that they will make announcement today in the afternoon, but we are expecting this decision today. The incoming prime minister very much wants to have the inaugurational meeting of the new government tomorrow so that uh, he wants to attend the leaders' summit in Brussels on Thursday and Friday. Oh yeah, where he will likely, the results will likely be one of the major background talking points, I yeah, imagine. Yeah, definitely. So how do you explain the victory of Robert Fico and his Smer party in these elections? I think... There are more reasons why Smer won this election, but we should probably start with the previous government that was formed after the 2020 elections. The elections were won by Olano, an opposition party or movement. This movement main goal actually was to fight the mafia and uh, fight the corruption in the country. They won the elections and they formed a rather unstable coalition. This coalition was characterized by internal conflicts, internal fights and personal disputes between the, the leaders of the parties. And of course, it should be remembered that this was at the time when the pandemic broke out. The pandemic and the situation that has developed has harmed actually the, the, the government, all the crises that were coming, pandemic, energy crisis, war in Ukraine, inflation and all that. It all had an impact on the population, on the inhabitants of Slovakia. And suddenly people, I think, they felt that the, the government in its own fights don't care about them. And this actually, Robert Fico and his smer and an experienced uh, politician, he used this very well, the situation. Actually, his campaign started already after the forming of the government in 2020. So he was very strong on social media. And he was actually as a spokesperson of the people who were not happy with the, with the steps taken by the former government. And could you elaborate on that shifting attitude of Slovak people towards Ukraine, a neighboring country? Uh, this is very, very hard to say. And I think we need some psychologists who would explain <laughs> this, this shifting. At the beginning of the war, I think the people were very shocked and surprised. When the, when the war started, and they opened their homes, they, the doors to, to Ukrainian refugees. The Ukrainian refugees, they stayed in families. They, the, the Slovaks welcomes them. Because we have to say that Slovaks are among those countries who are against the, who were not in favor of the common EU pact on migration and asylum. But this was a different case because Ukrainians are our neighbors. They are. They have the same, let's say, values, the same culture, the same religion, and so on. They were very close. This took a while. This support of Ukraine between the the population, 
But after a few months, when the people realized that this war will not be over in uh, half a year, they started, the populists, they started to use very strange vocabulary that, you know, this government is paying the Ukrainians. They are not taking care for the Slovaks and so on and so on. And, and it started. And these talks, using such words, continued. And this was the moment when the people started to shift from the support of Ukraine against Ukraine. Yeah, that's really interesting. You've mentioned misinformation before. What was also really interesting is that misinformation actually played a significant role in the Slovak elections. There was AI-generated fake audio going around of the candidates two days before the election during the moratorium when no election events can actually take place. And it posed a big challenge for fact-checkers. What was the reaction to that in Slovakia? Efforts to influence the elections through artificial intelligence are a new phenomenon in Slovakia's uh, pre-elections race, let's say. It was an, to, to explain it, it was an AI-created recording of a telephonate conversation about the manipulation of elections results between the chairman of Progressive Slovakia, Michal Šimečka, and one of those journalists. The speed of dissemination was enormous in the first hours, actually. However, thanks to the reaction of the state analysts and the fact-checkers, it did not reach so many people, this disinformation. And also, according to Progressive Slovakia, it did not do much damage uh, really? for them. Yes. The audio recording was not of high quality, and even a simple amateur could understand from the intonation of the voices and uh, the unnatural pauses in speech and interaction that it was actually a manipulation. Yeah, one can only speculate about the origin of this audio and of this video, but there are indications that it was a work of Russia. What I found really fascinating is that it also really put the spotlight on Slovakia. For example, there was a, I remember, I think it was a Wired podcast that I listened to about, they focus on fake news and disinformation, how to fight it. And they focus specifically on the technical aspects of why it was so, why it posed a particularly difficult challenge, because apparently audio is more difficult to fact check. And the fact that it was also during the moratorium, it was, yeah. so in, in a way, Slovakia was almost a, a test case because we're, we're going into a really busy election year. So it was almost a test case for how unprepared we really are for AI listening. But do you think that the moratorium had a big effect? I think this was, as you said, as you mentioned, this was a test case. What could happen in other elections in the next years, in the European elections, how this information could be spread, but the speed was, in this case, essential. It was uh, discovered within a few hours when the Slovak analysts and the fact-checkers, they contacted the social media and I think TikTok was the first who stopped the spreading of this video. That's actually really interesting. Yes, that's very interesting. I think it has to do also with the pressure from European Union on TikTok, especially on TikTok. And uh, then Meta came and, and Google, they came then, then later. But as I said, this, the speed was essential in this case. And so you said that AI being used to manipulate information is relatively new in Slovakia. Could you elaborate a bit on that? Is it a phenomenon of the past few months, this type of content being manipulated? I or? think this is, I don't want to say this is the first case, but I think this is one of the first cases which uh, were on the media, especially due, 
Of course, there were some fake videos, but these were so, so unnatural that everyone who is not blind must see that this is fake video. But this was really something new. Advanced. Yeah, advanced, yeah. But still, it was not perfect. Thank, okay. Thank God. <laughs> okay. Do you notice it yourself in your work? Do you notice that um, it becomes... No, no, no. no. Okay, well, that's in a way reassuring. <laughs> so we are recording this in the week of the European Summit, the, the Council Summit, on the 26th and 27th of October. How do you think the impact of the election result will be felt during the Council meeting? And what will the wider impact be on NATO and the EU? During the election campaign, many negative statements uh, were made about European Union, about Brussels. Brussels is uh, such a magical world, in, a magical <laughs> world in uh, Slovakia between some Slovak politicians, Brussels. Uh, That's interesting because it's something we hear a lot in these podcast talks with correspondents. They always say that Brussels becomes this code word for something. Yes. It's almost Mordor. To, you, to exactly. Make, <laughs> to make if comparison. you want to blame something, just say <laughs> one magical word, Brussels. <laughs> yeah. The statements often reminded during this campaign of those made by, yeah, as, as already mentioned today, Hungarian prime minister, especially in terms of support for Ukraine. During this campaign, Robert Fico, for example, he spoke out against military support for Ukraine. We know this. However, according to some columnists and analysts covering the, the domestic politics, the preamble of the coalition agreement signed by the parties does not suggest any degradation from, from Slovakia's current foreign policy. And this is very important. It literally says that they are committed to Slovakia's membership of security and uh, multinational structures such as European Union and, and, and NATO, of course. Yeah, time will tell us what this will mean in practice. But I think, and I want to believe, I want to believe that the leaders of our government, our new future government, are pragmatic enough to realize what the move away would mean for the future of the country. Interesting. So do you think there might be a lot of a little bit in comparison to Orban, somewhat hyperbolic language from time to time, but in reality, a more pragmatic exactly. approach? Exactly. I think our politicians are too pragmatic. So we've mentioned international relations and, and the impact on Ukraine policy. Domestically, what are the main challenges for uh, Robert Fico and his, and his coalition partners? Definitely, it will be, I think, the domestic challenges will be the economy of the country without Having uh, having reparation of the economy, they cannot move forward. It will be definitely a challenging period uh, for the new government, especially in terms of the economy. This includes, for example, the consolidation of public finances, more efficient use of the EU funds uh, in Slovakia, and the development of the green economy. So, yeah, let's mention energy, healthcare, inflation. These are the hot topics that needs to be addressed immediately for the new government. One of the benefits of being allowed to talk to you now is that I can ask some more personal questions. So um, <laughs> I wanted to ask about you as a correspondent. So how long have you been in Brussels now? Four years. Four, Four years. years in Brussels. Four exactly. Years. Yeah. And why did you want to become the Brussels correspondent? 
Actually, I didn't want it to become a Brussels <laughs> correspondent. I'm uh, slightly heartbroken yeah, to hear that. <laughs> no, so I, I received an offer. I received an offer, a position. This position became available after my colleague went back to, to Slovakia. And it probably had more reasons why I received this offer. I've been always interested in the EU affairs since joining the European Union in 2004. I prepared for the radio projects about EU countries, about EU institutions, about the life and uh, in EU countries. So to get closer European Union to the Slovak listeners, to make them familiar with the opportunities they have as a new member of the European Union. And then I, I worked lastly in the foreign news team. That was probably the second reason. And the third was maybe a language i don't know <laughs> so it was a was a little bit reluctant that you accepted it or were you excited about it i was surprised <laughs> at the beginning because i was not expecting this but yeah I, I, I was really happy that i i received this offer and my god so much has happened in those 4 years what a time to be a correspondent what have been the highlights for you <laughs> highlights uh mm. or what have been the most exciting or Unexpected moments? There were some of those moments, definitely. Definitely one of those moments I will never forget was my my trip, let's call it, with the commission president to Kiev this year and with some of the commissioners. This was very emotional for me because it was during the war. It was the first meeting of EU commission with the uh, Ukrainian government. It was in February. And... Uh, this was very, very, very strong, strong moment for me. And what was challenging was actually the, <laughs> the arrival to Brussels, actually. When, you know, when I came here four years ago, after a couple of months, three or four, when I moved to Brussels, and I got familiar, actually, with how everything works here in Brussels, in the institutions and so on, the pandemic broke out. Ah, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was completely new situation, not only for me, but I think for the whole world, even for the Brussels correspondents and for the journalists. This this was something new what our our generation never experienced <laughs> before. And I think the challenging moment was working during the pandemic. It was not only for me, but it was I think for all of us, for you as well. Yeah. But on the other hand, I think I think the the pandemic has one positive impact the digitalization of our work so because when the pandemic started i called my boss immediately and i told him you know i don't feel safe i don't know what to expect here i would better stay at home and he said okay let's come home so i came back to slovakia immediately after the country started to close the borders between each other and i managed it uh, to get to slovakia on the day Slovakia closed its border to, to Austria. So, like a true journalist, right before the deadline. <laughs> exactly, right before the deadline. First, I thought, yeah, I will be back in, yeah, in two weeks. But I stuck at home for more than two months. But I had to work, of course. And I think this was a big challenge for EU institutions because the journalists had to inform about the situation. But they had to respect the pandemic rules. So I think this situation pushed us f 
forward for many, many, many years. So this was very challenging for me to work during the, the pandemic. For sure. I think it's a very accurate analysis. We noticed it too that something like in all sectors, also in journalism, you can tell that there's a before and an after the pandemic. And you can tell just that certain trends that were already there were just sped up and everything is more digital, including the challenges. Exactly. Exactly. Everything is digital now. And I think it's more comfortable for us journalists because now you don't have to go for some press briefings, which you just want to have some background informations. You can just switch your camera on and you can listen to them. So, and you can work on something different on another topics. So I think it helps us. Digitalization, of course, can be beneficial, can, can have lots of benefits, but it can also bring additional challenges like more AI, for example, being used in certain things or more certain challenges. It's more, do you think that your work is a bit different now than before the pandemic or not so much? Is it just in the practice? I see only the, the positive things uh, oh, right now. That's a uh, although <laughs> although <laughs> we spoke with my colleagues sometimes that, oh, don't uh, look so far in the future because in the future there will be AI and we will not be needed anymore. So <laughs> this is always a part of our jokes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you believe it? It might happen, but I'm still optimistic. For sure. Well, if there were only AI, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. Exactly. So <laughs> <laughs> I shared that viewpoint. And so let's go back a little bit further in time. We talked about why you became a correspondent. Why did you become a journalist? To be honest, I, I never had ambitions to become a journalist. Really? Yeah, or a radio reporter, because I started in the radio first, or to be a TV correspondent. Because first I studied history and, and the German language, oh, because history is my... I studied my, history too. <laughs> yeah? yeah. Really? I didn't know this. Yeah, history is, was always my hobby. I, I love the ancient history and the medieval history. Yeah, the history of the medieval towns, it's, it's always, it was always my hobby. Then later I changed my mind and I started to study languages. And originally I thought that I was uh, going to be an interpreter or translator of German and Dutch. But of course, there were certain moments during my studies, for example, during some presentations when uh, the teachers and uh, some colleagues mentioned after my presentations that I should maybe perform in radio because I have calming voice and so on. So, yeah, but this was, this, that was not, nothing more. I was never thinking about this. But then a friend of mine told me later that they are looking, you know, for a presenter or an editor in radio. Maybe you, you can try it. So I, I went for an interview and I stayed there for 20 years with a short, <laughs> with, with a short break. And uh, I always make jokes about this, that, that I didn't want it to be interpreter because uh, <laughs> it's very stressful, actually, this kind of job. So <laughs> I became Wrong to be a journalist, journalist <laughs> which is at the same level, For uh, sure. I think, according to stress. For yeah. sure. Well, interesting that you're a historian. There's actually a lot of, I don't know what it's like in Slovakia, but in Belgium, a lot of well-known journalists are actually historians so, or mm -hmm. studied history. And I think that makes sense because if you... As a journalist, you try to make sense of, of what is happening in the world. And history is just one of those ways of looking at, okay, why is society the way it is today? One way of trying to understand is by looking at the past and seeing how that society evolved to how it is today. So exactly. You have to always think about the past to understand the present and the future. 
what to expect in the society, in the politician, and so on. And because our life is just a very, very, very short period in the centuries or in the history of the world. So, so we have to always keep in mind the past and the future. For sure. And I think the pandemic is one of those great examples of we think that we are living in exceptional times, but of course, in part we are and in part we aren't because it's, it's something that's happened so much before. Well, quite an interesting career path. And what are you looking forward now in the next few months, years? How long are you staying actually still as a correspondent? Is it your final year? Or are you staying for a few more years? Or? I, I think I will stay here for one more year. <laughs> I want to stay here until the European elections for next year. And uh, I'm looking forward for my new colleague uh, <laughs> who should help me here during the next year with the Belgian presidency, with the Belgium elections, with EU elections. So a lot of work. Yeah. And I hope I will not cover this for the Slovak radio and for Slovak television alone. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and that nice soothing voice will become quite tired. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, you mentioned it before that your trip to Ukraine was quite moving for you. How do you manage your mental health as a journalist? It's because it's something that comes up in these talks with correspondents. Everyone talks about these moments because you, of course, as a journalist, you're constantly confronted with all these heavy news items. How do you manage that for yourself? And do you have any tips? I always try to not to focus only on negative things, on negative topics, because in this world, in this situation, we have a lot of negative informations. Just mention it. Yeah. Pandemic, war, economical problems, and so on and so on. So I always try, except of those topics uh, I have to inform about, to find something nice and interesting to make an exceptional story for the radio and for the television about i don't know something some historical parts or some cultural events here in in belgium or in the netherlands this is from the point of view of the job but for my mental health i always try to relax whenever it's possible that means i very often go for long walks here in Brussels, I have a special place where I always go with my friend whenever it's it's possible. It's Bois de Alcamer. And this I love the, I love this park. And uh, I know it's it's not very mm, it's not something exceptional, but I love to watch movies, TVs. This is my way of relaxation. Yeah, for sure. Well, actually, I I think in comparison because we work for a lot of different public broadcasters and they're all amazing and they all have a an interesting and different approach to work but what i usually notice when we work for the slovak for you or for other correspondents of the slovak public broadcaster that there's more space for light stories for example i remember one of my absolute favorite uh, stories that i ever prepared for someone was actually for you and it was the the world championship of meaning biking against the wind. I remember (laughs) this. I remember this. A brilliant, brilliant. I love seeing the story of you just in the wind trying to. (laughs) I remember this. This was, I think it was three or four years ago. It was in in Netherlands. Yeah, Yeah, uh, for sure. Not not far from here. It was, we always have this place for such light stories, as you mentioned it, because we uh, we have a news channel. So we have a lot of space where to air such kind of, of stories as well. So I think 
What is important to realize for us as EU correspondents is that we are not living in EU institutions. We are not only living in Brussels, we live in Belgium, we live in Benelux countries. So if there's something interesting, we should inform about this. And this is, uh, you are getting closer with the culture, with the society, with the country, with its people. And this is important for us. We are not living in EU institutions. Well, and maybe to uh, follow up on or to pick up on your plea for more positive news, I was actually talking to a biologist yesterday, a scientist, and he said, actually, well, rightly so, we're reporting on a lot of these major international events, which well aren't very positive at the moment. But at the same time, he was saying, we're actually going through a major period of scientific breakthroughs when it comes to, for example, the pandemic also caused a, a cascade of positive scientific developments and breakthroughs, etc. So Maybe that, that's a good, a good place to close off the podcast. A plea for more positive news. Yeah. What do you say? Absolutely agree with you. We need more positive news. The society needs more positive news. Everyone from us, of us. Well, that's a nice place to land. Martin, thank you so much for being here. It was really a pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Take care.